God, we gather here together, Lord, as family, as community, God, to worship your name. Lord, to mutually, to encourage each other, to say, yes, Lord, you are good. And God, thank you, Lord, that we can praise your name, Father, on the good days, on the bad days, on just all the regular in-between days. Um, God, there's always reason to look to you. There is always reason to hope. God, and you are that hope, the hope of salvation. Lord, thank you for your goodness. God, and thank you. Thank you that you are our hope. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open them up to Genesis chapter 12. Our title today is God's Redemption Plan Unleashed. And we are in a series called The Gospel Story. We're going from Genesis to Revelation. We're looking at how we begin in a garden in a small geographical area of the earth to a kingdom that fills the entire earth. How do we go from, from one to the other? In fact, uh, the children's resource that Bill held up is this gospel story um, that we're going through, looking from Genesis to Revelation. Um, really recommend that. We love that. We lost it in the move somewhere, and so can't wait to go through one of our boxes, and we'll find our copy of that book as well. Um, so far in the story, what we've seen is that there is a God who is a cosmic sovereign king. He has created everything for his glory, he made man in his image that he would multiply, spread the kingdom of God over the entire earth so that there would be image bearers over all the earth. But man rebelled against God and he sinned. Rather than worshiping God, he worshiped himself. He chose to worship creation. And therefore he was removed from the garden, from God's presence, and from God's kingdom. So that's what it means. When, when man is removed from the garden, they're being removed from the presence of God and removed from experiencing the blessed rule of God, the kingdom of God. And so um, at this moment, everything kind of looks hopeless. We see all of humanity is sinful and is corrupted, but then there's this glimmer of hope that we have. And we saw that last week in Genesis 3.15, that there is a seed of the woman who will one day come and crush the head of the serpent. And so now the quest is, who is this seed? Where is he coming from? How is he coming? And as we look forward into the story, or as we progress, what we do is we see in Genesis 4 through 11 that all humanity is wicked. All humanity is wicked. Genesis 4 through 11 reveal this very clearly. And in fact, um, it's so wicked that God says, well, I'm going to cleanse the earth. And so he washes it with a great flood, just like we, we wash our dishes, we, we, we put water all over them and scrub them and hopefully use a little soap, and they're clean. So God is doing that with all of the earth. He's going to cleanse it. And then what we see after the flood is that humanity is still sinful. We need something much more powerful than water to cleanse sin from this world. And what we need is the serpent crusher. And so we're left with, how is he going to come? That's where we're at today. How is God going to bring the serpent crusher 
into the world, into this redemption story. And so one thing we do here is we stand when we read God's word. And so I want to encourage you uh, to go ahead and stand. We're going to be in Genesis 12. Now we are going to be going through, did I just go in and out? Is it still going? All right. We are in Genesis 12, 15, 16, and 17 today. I'm not going to make you stand for all of it, and we're not reading every, every word of every chapter, but um, do not lose your place in Genesis. Um, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarah, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions they had that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place of Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. Let's, let's pray. Our Father... Give us wisdom now as we look at your word. Help us to understand these foundational truths in your word. Help us to see how, God, your, your gospel story is being unleashed. God, give us wisdom and give us faith. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. God, change us today because of your word. Draw us closer to you. May we grow in the strength in, in our faith today because of your grace. In your name, Jesus, amen. You all may be seated. So what we're going to do is ask four questions, and basically each chapter is going to answer a question. So chapter 12 is going to answer, how is the serpent crusher going to come? And so um, let me remind you, we're, we're five weeks in right now to this story. We're still in Genesis. In fact, we only got to Genesis 12, and this series only goes 16 weeks. Do you see where we're spending a lot of our time? In fact, next week we'll be in Genesis. Um, Genesis is a very foundational story. And in fact, if, if you grab like a, a great novel and, and you open it up and just start reading in chapter 4, would you understand what's happening? Would you understand who the characters are and why they're interacting the way they are? No, you'd, you'd be missing so much. You have to start from the beginning. And that's, that's why we're spending a lot of time. Now you're going to notice we're going to skip a lot of books and we're going to be going pretty quick. Um, after this week. Um, but we're spending a lot of time in Genesis because what we're really seeing is who God is and how he is unleashing his plan of redemption. While we're going to read a lot about Abram and Sarah and other, th and other people as we progress through this story, it's about God. And so these first few chapters are very foundational because they're really laying us why God is doing what he's doing and how God is doing what he's doing. So that's in okay, case some of you are wondering, 16 weeks, week 5, still in Genesis, don't worry. Um, there is a plan. Many of you have that book that we're going through, uh, the Gospel in 16 Verses. Um, if you don't know what I'm talking about there, you can come see me afterwards and I'll let you know about that book. Um, so here we are. God chooses a man named Abram and gives him three promises. 
Number one, a great nation. God is going to make out of Abram a great people. That's what it is to be a great nation. Um, from Abram will be birthed a people for God's own possession. That's what he's making here. Now, what does every people need? It's going to be a nation. You have land. And in verse 1, we see, I will take you, go to the land that I will show you. Verse 7, to your offspring, I will give this land. So there is land in this promise. Now, really, pretty much Genesis Exodus, Leviticus is all going to focus on the formation of the people of God. Once we get to Numbers and going through Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, I'm trying to keep track of everything, um, we're going to be focusing more on the land, on the, actually the moving into the land. So, but in the beginning, we're really going to be focusing on the, the, the formation of a people. And then promise number three is a blessing. God will bless Abram and his people. And he does this. Why? Verse 3. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So I'm going to bless you. So you're going to be a blessing. And through you, all the families will be blessed. So, at the beginning of this redemption plan, God does not have his eye only on one nation. He has his eye on all nations that fill the entire earth. So when we're looking at the gospel story, we're going to begin with what we'll see is the Jewish nation for the purpose God chooses a people who will then spread to reach all peoples. But the point is all peoples will be reached. That's the point. So what is God doing? Now just think through here. God is creating a people for his possession who's going to go into all the world to be a blessing and carrying forth the blessings of God. Does that sound familiar? That sounds familiar. Now just think. What was, the, what was the command God gave to Adam and Eve? I want you to subdue creation. So I want you to take the garden. And I want you to spread the garden representing the kingdom of God. I want you to spread the garden. I want you to fill and multiply the earth. So I want you to take these images. I want you to be an image bearer. Multiply. Make more image bearers. And you're going to spread that the entire earth would be full of image bearers. And now we have a people being formed for the purpose of spreading out over the entire, na or entire earth that they would be a blessing, meaning carrying forth the blessings of God that people would believe in God and thus be image bearers. Do you see? God's really taking up on where Adam and Eve have sinned. They've fallen. And so God's saying, I still will be worshipped in all of creation. And so now he's beginning with a man named Abram. So God has not abandoned his redemptive or his, his plan to be glorified in all creation He's now picking it back up and showing us how he will be glorified in all of creation. So this Abram must have been pretty cool if he caught the eye of God, right? I mean, what we see in Genesis 11, everybody is worshiping um, creation. They're going to build a tower to make their name great. Nobody loves God. But God chooses Abram, so he must have been doing something right. While everyone else is building the, uh, the tower, he's probably sitting over here going, Oh, holy God, you are amazing. I love you. Is that what he's doing? No. Joshua 24, 2. Long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of Abraham, and of Nahor, and they served other gods. What? Abram's a pagan? What? You mean he doesn't love God? No, he doesn't. So why'd God choose him? 
grace. God chooses Abram out of grace. Abram did not deserve to be chosen. Abram was not chosen because he could do things that God could not do on his own. You see, this, this is a picture of the gospel. We have Abram, a part of all of other humanity, and they're doing their own thing. And then God chooses Abram and by his grace saves him and now uses Abram for his purposes. This is a picture of the gospel. God saves us not because of our abilities, not because of our lineage, not because of what we have to offer, but actually he chooses us despite all of those things. He says, I'm going to use you, and I choose you. So if you're here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, know that he didn't do that because he looked at you and said, wow, I need them on my team. Sorry if that burst your bubble. That's not why you were chosen. You were chosen simply out of the good pleasure of God. He just simply says, I love you. And by his grace, he saves you. So we see something else really remarkable here also. Look at verse 4, and I'm just going to read the verse, and you're going to tell me, so remember, this is interactive, you're going to tell me what's so remarkable about verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him. There it is. Did you see it? Some of you are like, and were you going to read more? What's remarkable here? Obeyed. Thank you, Monica. Emily, someone. You get a golden star. He obeyed. Now, now remember here, why is this remarkable? Because basically in Genesis 4 through 11, what do we have? Wickedness, 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 sinfulness, sinfulness. And what is sinfulness? It's us living in rebellion against God. Basically, no one. We do have an exception of Noah, but no one pleases God. In fact, God says in Genesis 6, man only sins continually. All man does is in rebellion, but somehow God commands Abram, and now he obeys? What's happened? How is it that he obeys him? It's the same reason that he was chosen. It's grace. When God's grace comes upon us, his commands are no longer bitter and burdensome, but they're light and they're lovely. When God's grace transforms us, his commands are no longer bitter and burdensome, but they're light, they're lovely. God's grace transforms us, so not only do we obey him, but we want to obey him. Don't miss this. A defining mark of a worshiper of God is that they obey God. We saw that. Adam and Eve were to obey God, and that was how they were to worship him. And because they disobeyed God, they did not worship him. And so now we have a man transformed by the grace of God, and he obeys God. This is, this is a glimmer of hope here in this story. So far, really, no one has it. We have Noah, and it looks good, but then Noah, we see, is sinful, so there's not a lot of hope in Noah. But now, we see a man has been transformed, and he's worshiping God. He's obeying him. So what we see is that the serpent crusher is coming now through this people that God is forming through Abram. So um, what we're going to find out now is that Abram and Sarah can't have kids, though. Well, that's strange. So God has chosen a couple who can't have kids. So that brings us to Genesis 15, and we're going to ask the question, 
How is Abram going to be a great nation if he doesn't have any children? Because that's hard, right? Did God make a mistake? Did he choose the wrong couple? Should he have chosen Lot? Lot had kids. So verse 15, let me read verses 1 through 6. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and the member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. There seems to be a problem with the promises of God here. God says, I'm going to make of you a great nation. And Abram says, we can't have children. So Abram's having a crisis of faith here, right? It's a crisis of faith. God gives these promises. I don't see this happening. So Abram speaks. He voices his problem. And what does God do? Interaction. Come on, Josh, you got it. He answers, thanks, Josh. Man, this side of the room. Come on, guys. He answers him. He answers him. Now, that's pretty remarkable, right? The person who has been chosen by God, God's child here, has a problem. And he voices this problem. And God answers. Now, if you're a deist, this is, this is, this is very different than what you believe. Deism is, is basically you believe God formed the earth and has pretty much nothing to do with it. He's inattentive. He's doing his own thing. Maybe he jumps in at times, but for the most part, he's totally uh, distant from his creation. But what we have here is a God who's very personal. And his child, the one he has chosen, voices a question, has this crisis of faith. So what does God do? He answers. Do you know that's what God does? hope you know that when you're struggling God's not sitting there going I'm just not on I'm on vacation right now do they not know that I have my two weeks right now no he's personal and he's answering and he's listening to you he's listening to you we have crisis of faith God is not distant and so what we have here is God is going to answer Abram in two ways He's going to give him a promise and a covenant. And so first, he takes him to look at the stars. This is the promise. He takes him and says, Abram, do you see all these stars? Now, I went to Oklahoma every year growing up uh, because my grandparents lived there. My grandparents lived in Altus. Some of you know where that is. Beautiful. Um, No, it's not. It's basically, well, it's hell. It's, It's really hot. It's really hot. It's like 110 all the time. And Sean was there. Was there anything to do in Altus? No, there's nothing to do in Altus. And I've been there, so it's great. The only reason we go is my grandparents are there. They have a farm, so we ride horses. It's great. Um, and what we do at night, we'd go lay in the back of the pickup trucks, and you're in a farm where there's nothing else out there. And so because there's no lights, what do you see? 
You see stars. And man, I, I still I don't believe I've ever seen more stars than when I've been in Altus, just looking up and seeing thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. And you see the shooting stars. And it's just amazing. I think that's something like what, what Abram saw. It's not like the stars that we see. Last night we saw some. If you looked up, there was maybe 30. That was pretty good. Um, but, but I could count them, so they're not that great. But I think when Abram looked up, he saw thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. And God says, that's how many children you're going to have. That's going to be your offspring. That's what it's going to look like. And then we're told in verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What? Like, you got to pause here. Don't just read the story because we already know, you know, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. How is this possible? Isn't Abram from the descendant of Adam? Isn't all the descendants of Adam sinful? Haven't all the descendants rebelled against God? So how is it a man from the line of Adam is now considered righteous? This, 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 is, this is very strange here. We had Adam and Eve, and they were righteous, but then they sinned, and no one is righteous. But now Abram is? What just happened here? Well, Abram believed in the promises of God. It was considered righteous. He trusted in the promises of God more than in the realities of what he saw. He saw that he is somewhere north of 75. His wife is somewhere north of 65. There are no spring chickens. And yet God says, I'm going to bless you. You're going to have a lot of children. And so he says, I'm going to believe that more than what I see at this moment. Romans helps out a little bit. Romans 4.19 says this. He, meaning Abram, did not weaken in his faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. So notice what Abram did. He worshiped God. That's what it means. He gave glory to God. And what's the result? Because he worshiped God. His faith grew strong. His faith grew strong. And so his faith continued to grow strong. So when the physical reality around him looked like it was opposing the plan of God, that did not cause him to move to unbelief, but yet he praised God all the more, knowing God was able to carry forth his promises. So the situation said, no, God can't do this. But the promises said, yes, God can. And so how is this faith possible? How is this faith possible that Abram had? Well, it goes back to the answer that we've already given. It's grace. Abram was saved by grace, and he's sustained by grace. It's all about the grace of God. We are saved by grace and sustained by grace. Abram had faith in God's promises, not because of how strong Abram was, but because of God's grace in him. Have you ever noticed that God allows difficult things in your life that seem to make it hard to believe in his promises? Have you ever noticed that? Why does he do this? 
God is exercising our faith. The trials and difficulties that we go through in life are not because God is absent, but because God is present. And he's saying, I'm going to take your faith to the gym today. And and I'm going to use these trials as the means of growing your faith. And so God says, I want you to look at the physical situation around you. And even though it looks like my plan cannot be accomplished, I want you to trust in me. And as we do that, our faith continues to grow stronger and stronger. He wants us to know that his promises are always good, no matter what the situation is. So I ask you, what are you, what are you going through? What is challenging your faith right now? And remember, God's not challenging your faith to tempt you to sin. Rather, he's challenging your faith so that he would graciously grow your faith. So what should we do? I want to encourage you, wherever you're at, whatever struggle you're going through, praise God. Give glory to God. Worship Him. You might say, Matt, I don't know how God is working this for His good at this moment or for my good and His glory. But I'm going to praise God that He is. And as we worship Him, what do we see will happen to our faith? It will continue to grow. See, sin wants to jump in at that moment and say, you don't worship God. Forget about worshiping God. But God says, no, that's exactly what you're to do at this moment so that your faith will continue to grow. So I want to encourage you to take time later today, even right now, and just praise God for whatever situation you're going in. Now you might say, well, it looks pretty hopeless. Well, so did the cross, right? The cross, everything looked really hopeless. The Messiah, the one we thought was the serpent crusher, is now being crushed at the cross. He's dying. Has Satan won? Has death prevailed? So at the time, everything looks the most hopeless. What happens? God is working very powerfully at that moment. And in fact, he crushes the head of the serpent and prevails over death. So when life looks most hopeless, what do we learn often is happening? God is working most at that moment for his redemption plan. So your life might look kind of difficult at the moment. Maybe you look, it's hopeless. Maybe it's dark. And we're tempted because of sin to say, maybe God's not really in this. God's saying, no, I'm, I'm working very powerfully right now in your life so the second thing god does is after the promise he gives him a covenant in verse 8 abram says how am i to know that i shall possess this and we know he's not doubting god he's not saying how do i know are you tricking me because he just said in verse 6 that you believed and now you're counted righteous so we know this isn't a lack of faith simply abram is asking for grace here uh, help me to understand this and so god makes a covenant Now, covenants are a little foreign to us. We don't really do covenants a lot, but covenants in the ancient world were a very common practice, um, and it's a relationship between two parties, often between a superior and inferior party. Not always, but often. That's the case here when God makes a covenant with Abram. And in this relationship, there are obligations. And if one of the parties fails to fulfill the obligations, there are curses, And so covenant, it's this huge topic um, that runs all the way throughout the Bible, and we're not going to spend that much time on it. Uh, Sorry. Um, But remember this, God always relates to his people through covenant. Always relates to his people. Even Adam and Eve, we could look, there's a covenant there, there's covenant curses. Adam and Eve fulfilled, failed to fulfill their, um, their covenant obligation, therefore the curse was there removed. Even though we don't have the word covenant there, it's assumed there's a covenant relationship that is there. 
Now, a common practice in making a covenant is a sacrifice. It's a common practice, not every time, but it is common. And a sacrifice would be made. Oftentimes, the animals would be cut in half, like we have in Genesis 15. And so you would have um, animals over here and animals over here. And then what you would do is you'd walk in between the sacrifices. And what you'd be saying is, if I fail to uphold my part of the covenant obligation, may I become like these animals here death. In Genesis 9, God makes a covenant with Noah, and he says, um, never again will I flood the earth. Then what does he do? He hangs his bow in the sky. Where's the bow pointed? Up or down? It's almost as if God is saying, and if I do flood the earth again, may my own arrow come at me. So, so here we are. Let's look at Genesis 15, and let's just read. Um, where am I at here? Verses 9, let's start in verse 9. And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female great goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other, but he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for yourself, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age." And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Verse 17. When the sun has gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give to this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, and he lists the boundaries of the land there. So there's a lot of other things that are involved here in Genesis 15, but what we see is a flaming uh, pot and a torch goes between these sacrifices. These represent God. Who does not go in between the sacrifices? Abram. Be careful there. We're not to Abraham yet. It's Abram. He's right, but he's not. Um, uh, He goes between. Only God goes in between the sacrifices. Why doesn't Abram not? Because God is saying, I am going to fulfill these covenant obligations myself. It'll be by my grace and my power, not your effort, Abram. So you can trust that, these, that you are going to have this child and you are going to have his offspring as many as the stars because I will fulfill these obligations, Abram. And so this brings us to our next question. It brings us really to chapter 16, which gives us the question, what is the means in which the offspring will not come about? So God just says, by my power and my grace will this offspring come about. Then comes chapter 16. We're not going to read 16, uh, but I encourage you to read it later. Um, 16 is interesting. It's kind of like Genesis 3 repeated. Um, In Genesis 3, we have Eve turning to Adam and basically saying, hey, Adam, do you want to disobey God and eat the fruit that we were commanded not to? And Adam, in a very goofy way, says... Okay. And here in Genesis 16, Sarah turns to, uh, turns to Abram and says, Hey, honey, 
I don't think God's actually going to fulfill his promises uh, through me. I think you should have sex with my servant Hagar. And uh, you should fulfill the covenant promises with her. And Abram says in a goofy way, well, honey, if you think that's best. And so that's what happened. It's weird. And trust me, when you go through Genesis, there's lots of weird stories. Um, no, we don't know how much time has gone by in Genesis 15 to 16. Has it been a year? Has it been months? How long? It doesn't really matter. What's matter what matters is that we see um, our sinful nature loves to try to thwart the plans of God. That's what we see here. Um, some length of time has gone by, and some level of doubt has crept in over this length of time. Now, doubt's not necessarily bad. Doubt can keep us humble. Doubt can keep us trusting in the promises of God. It can keep leading us back to the Word. Doubt's kind of like ivy in your garden. A little ivy can look good. Oh, it's like a little ivy. Oh, that's pretty. But what happens with ivy? It spreads, and 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 it spreads, until one day it fills the entire garden, and you're like, I hate this ivy. And then it's a pain to get out. Um, that's what's happened with Abram and Sarah. Rather than turning right to God as this doubt crept in, they began to look inward, and the ivy continued to spread and continued to spread, and so did their doubt. This is what happens. A little doubt mixed with time is a dangerous combination. Because over that time, that doubt can grow. So soon we find ourselves doubting the promises of God, and rather than submitting to God as king, we're thinking that we are king, which is exactly what Adam and Eve did, which is exactly what Abram and Sarah are doing. And we think maybe we need to fulfill the promises of God. You ever feel like that? Maybe I'll do a tag team with God. Hey, God, you did great so far. Tag. Now I'll come in the ring. I'll do what you haven't been doing. You're like, no, I never do that. But maybe, maybe we do that. Um, what are you doubting about right now? What are you doubting? Do you wonder if God's really good? Do you wonder if you can really trust him? Do you find that you're slowly trying to take the role of God rather than submit to God? Are you able to trust God with your money? Are you able to give? Are you able to trust God with your kids, with your spouse? Are you trusting God with his plan for your life? Are you trusting God to lead and direct are you questioning God's knowledge and his reason? Are you thinking, you know, God, I've been praying for this person. You haven't really been changing them. I'll step in. I'll change them. Where are you doubting God? I want to encourage you, um, write your doubts down. Tell them to God. Just lift them up to God. Um, I also encourage you to share them with other people. And I think it's important we share our doubts with other people for at least two reasons. Um, one, your doubts... Um, are not unique. You know that? Whatever you're doubting is not original. Someone else has done it before. And what you'll often find is that you think you're all alone, but as soon as you tell someone else, they'll say, oh, I've thought that. And you're like, no, you haven't. But in reality, they have. Um, what you'll also find is that you're beginning to ask people for grace because you realize that God uses other people as means of grace. And so you're asking other people to begin praying for you. So I'm gonna encourage you, share your doubts with others. One thing doubts love to do as it grows is to isolate you and remove you from the people of God so that you think you are alone. And so one of the things that we're called to do is to worship God and to move forward and closer to the people of God that together we would help one another. So I want to encourage you, if you have doubts, 
Um, come see me. Come see our elders. Come talk to other people around you. Um, so what we see so far is that God, out of grace, has chosen Abram. Out of grace, God, um, out of grace, Abram has obeyed God and he's believed in the promises of God. And God's promises will be fulfilled by his grace and power. Um, so the last question, when will the offspring come? When is it going to come? So let's read verses 1 through 8. When Abram was 99 years old. In Genesis 12, how old was he? 75, so 24 years later now. The Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you, and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. And I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will bless you into nations, and kings shall come from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. So what we see is that Abram's name is changed from Abram to Abraham. Now he's Abraham. He goes from, Abram means father, or exalted father. Abraham means um, father of a multitude. And we see God repeats his promises to him. And in verse 7, we just see something pretty amazing. God says, I'm going to be God to you and to your offspring. So again, just go back to Genesis 3. Adam and Eve, they sin. They're removed from the presence of God. They said, we don't want to worship you, God, so God removes them. And now God says, I'm going to be your God, and you're going to be my people. You see what he's doing? He's reestablishing the kingdom of God right here. He's doing what was in Genesis 2 and 3. He's now reinstating here through Abraham. Let's go to verse 15. And God said to Abram, as for Sarah, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarah, but Sarah shall be your name from I to H. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abram fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abram said to God, Oh God that Ishmael might live before you. And God said, no, but Sarah, shall be your, Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. Do you see what happens here? It says, no, Abram, or Abraham, it's not going to be through Ishmael. It's through Isaac, and he's going to come from Sarah. And you see how ridiculous this is now? He's 99 years old. Sarah's 90 years old. And God says, now, now's the time. So take comfort. Abram had to learn to trust in God's grace, and so do we. He had to learn God will fulfill his promises by God's grace and his power, not by his effort. He had to learn it, and so do we. You might be learning that right now freshly. You might freshly, in a fresh way. I think that's better English. You might be in that process right now where you're learning trust in the promises of God right now. Abraham had to learn it. We all have to learn it. God promises will not be fulfilled through the efforts of man. Let me ask you, why has God chosen to wait 25 years to fulfill his promise to Abraham? 
Why has God chosen to bring a nation through people who can't have children? Why has God chosen to open Sarah's womb when she's 90? Because God wants to make sure everyone knows he's the one fulfilling the promise. In week one, we said everything God does is for his glory and to display his glory. Everything that God does is for his name. So to answer the question, when will Abram and Sarah have a child? When it highlights God's grace the most. That's when. When it's obvious God is working. And that's how he continues to act today. Do you ever feel like God acts slow? Do you ever think God's a little slow to fulfill his promises? Do you ever think we could just speed up God's timing? Why do you think God actually acts the way he does? To make his name great. Because he's more concerned about making sure we know it's his grace and not luck. He wants us not to confuse our effort with his grace. And he doesn't want us to boast in ourselves when we should be boasting in him. God's not slow. He just knows our sinful tendency to try to make everything come from us. So he's saying, look, I'm going to act in such a way you know it's me. That's how he acts. That's how he acted thousands of years ago and how he continues to act today. So in our text, Genesis 12, 15, 16, and 17, we see that God has, has released his redemption plan through grace. Out of grace, he chose an Abraham. Out of grace, he gives Abraham great promises. Out of grace, he promises to fulfill these promises. And it's in his grace that he will fulfill these promises so that they point to his grace and to his glory. Now, because of the New Testament, we know that the ultimate offspring that comes from Abraham is Jesus. In fact, Galatians 3.16 says, Now the promises were made to Abram and to his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your offspring who is Christ. So ultimately, all the promises that God is giving Abraham are going to be fulfilled through Jesus. Jesus Christ is the true offspring of Abraham. He's the serpent crusher. He's the one who through him all the nations will be blessed. It's ultimately where all the promises come, come to. And in Galatians 3.29, Paul says this also. If you are Christ, meaning if you have believed in Jesus, then you are Abram's offspring, heirs according to the promise. You see that? We're heirs according to the promise. So the promises that were given to Abraham because of our faith in Jesus we're also a part of. You see that? It's what Paul says. The church is God's people saved by grace to be his instruments of grace in spreading the gospel so others would believe in the gospel of grace and experience his grace. The promises that God made to Abraham thousands of years ago have been fulfilled in Jesus and are being fulfilled in Jesus through his body, the church. You see that? That's what, that's what Paul is telling us in Galatians. So what we read thousands of years ago has come true in Abraham or in Christ. And if we have faith in Jesus, did I say that right? All the promises that were given to Abraham, have come true in Jesus. And because of our faith in Jesus, we're united with Jesus. We're the body of Jesus. We're the bride of Jesus. So we also 
are part of these promises, and God is blessing all nations through his church, going to all nations, spreading the gospel. Do you see that? That's how the promises have been fulfilled and are being fulfilled. There's that, that tension we live in. Through Christ, everything has been fulfilled, and yet we're also seeing it be fulfilled. So we're people saved by grace, just like Abraham. Abraham saw the redemption plan of God from a distance. He looked and he saw it from a distance. And he believed in it, he trusted in it. But we've seen it much closer, haven't we? Because we have the full story. We've seen it at the cross of Jesus Christ. We know how the plan of redemption comes true. And because of our faith in Jesus, we can experience the blessings of the promises that were given to Abraham and be a part of those as they go out to all peoples. So we're going to pray. We're going to do a few questions and then we're going to come do communion. Our Father, God, we thank you for, um, for your grace today. We thank you that out of your grace you chose Abraham and that you gave him promises and that, God, we've seen those promises come true through Jesus. God, what we see is that you are a faithful God. You have kept your covenant promises, that you have not forsaken your promises, but that you have upheld them, and that, God, you have fulfilled them through Jesus. And now, because of our faith in Jesus, God, you use us also to spread the gospel story to all peoples. God, I pray, help us to be a part of your story. Help us to see that we are a part of your redemption plan. Help us to continue to trust in you. Help us to uh, grow in our love for you. And God, when doubt comes in, may we not run from you, but may we, may we move towards you. And may, um, and may, God, we grow strong in our faith as we glorify you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your redemption plan. In your name, Jesus, amen. I don't think we have new questions today. Um, one thing we do is we do questions at the end of the sermon, uh, and you can text those in. I don't believe we had any, so that's okay. Uh, we'll go on into communion. So if you are one of the men helping out with communion, I want to encourage you to go ahead and come forward. We do open communion here which means you do not have to be a member of Timberline uh, Baptist Church to be uh, to partake of communion. What we do ask is that you have faith in Jesus Christ. And if you're sitting here today and you're saying, I'm just checking this out, and I have not actually believed in Jesus, we just encourage you to pass this on, um, and that's okay. Uh, we'd rather you do that than take of it and not really know what it means. Um, but we just ask that you've had faith in Jesus. And so what I'm going to do is go ahead and ask Bill, would you mind praying for communion? And then we'll begin passing up.